Hey, everybody, welcome back. Um, what we're going to be doing today is a brief summary, a condensed version of what we talked about last night on our live with myself and Big Blue, referencing some of the new footage that's been out there uh, from the uh, Linda Lane apartment complex that everybody's been talking about and watching. Um, you know, I'm going to give you guys the condensed version. I know a lot of you guys don't want to sit through the entire hour and a half or whatever. And so, um, Without further ado, let's get into the content. So uh, yesterday we spoke about about this footage. I think it's important to re-elaborate where this footage is from. Uh, it is from this apartment complex right here off of Linda Lane. But this apartment complex has a camera that looks over into these brown brick apartment complexes, uh, buildings um, that are between uh, the Linda Lane apartment complex and the victim's residence. Uh, this... Um, this camera catches footage into that parking lot. And in this parking lot, you can see a white sedan that looks very similar to a white Elantra. I mean, based on this footage, I, I'll be honest with you, you can't tell 100% whether it's an Elantra or Sentra or Sonata, Corolla. I mean, it could be a, a one of a many different type of vehicles. Um, however, you know, the probable cause affidavit states that the footage is from multiple videos obtained from the King Road neighborhood showing multiple sightings of the vehicle. And so this isn't the only, right? In here, actually, they speak uh, a little bit later referencing a uh, three-point turnaround that happens at the intersection of King and Queen, which is right here at this intersection. And you have this residence here, which we suspect is what we know is this residence, uh, who we know had a camera pointing in that direction. So we can kind of assume there uh, that this is the camera that caught that three-point turn. So there's going to be some pretty good footage of that vehicle. And this vehicle, this camera is going to catch um, a pretty good glimpse of what that vehicle looked like. Now, coming from the uh, vehicle's point of view, driving up the street, as you can see, that residence is slightly elevated. And so... I think this kind of debunks the rumor about about a sunroof. Um, let's just use some logic here. You know, this camera, this footage would have captured that and they would have known. So um, one, we're either to have believed that, you know, all the experts that looked at this vehicle, yeah, which I understand they may have gotten the year wrong. But when you look at the differences between a 2011 and a 2013 Elantra and a 20, you know, 14 and 16 Elantra, they're very small. Right. And on a greeny footage, those things might be too difficult to see. However, we have to remember this is a white vehicle with a dark. If this had a sunroof, it would have had a dark piece of glass over it. So are we to believe that the experts just didn't see that? And if they did, are we to believe that the prosecution is just and law enforcement and multiple agencies that have reviewed this footage are just hoping that the defense and the alleged Brian Koberger, who knows his vehicle and has privilege to the evidence against him, they're just going to hope he doesn't notice the big dark piece of glass on the roof of his vehicle or, or on the roof of a white vehicle that looks like his. In the defense's motions, Ann Taylor puts in there that the identification of Brian Koberger's vehicle is highly relied upon a vehicle on Ridge road, right? Where it's at the wrong place at the wrong time, right? Don't you think that 
during that description of the vehicle that she was mentioning that she would have probably put in bold capitalized letters that the vehicle closest to the residence um, that has that you guys are using against my client indicates that it has a sunroof indicating that it's not my client don't you think that she'd be jumping on the roof on the on the tables and chairs and brian cover would not be in jail right now I don't think that that it's a logical explanation that there was a sunroof. I'm, I'm sorry. It just doesn't make any sense for me. But let's let's continue. Probable cause affidavit states that this vehicle makes three passes. And then on the fourth pass, we'll go back to the affidavit. It says starting at 329 and ending at 420, the vehicle is shown making three initial passes at 1122 King residence and then leaving via, uh, via willing to drive. Um, it says that there are a very limited number of vehicles that travel in the area during the early morning hours. And upon review of the video, there are only a few cars that enter and exit the area during this time frame. And so what that tells me and also kind of validates the, the, the video um, that is being released is that you do see a couple of vehicles in and around that area during that time. Not very many, but a few, which is consistent with what this is saying. So a little bit more validation to to the uh, to the video itself. Um, but what do we know as far as the time frame here? So you, it says here basically that, you know, from 404 to 420, that this white vehicle is not being seen, right? And so we know that during that time frame, uh, what do we know? We know that there's a camera that is 50 yards or 50 feet away from uh, Zana Kernodal's bedroom that heard, you know, a thud and barking and whimpering um, around the 417 mark. Uh, the affidavit states that there was a download of the victim's phones and also the roommate's phones to determine the time in which this occurred. Now, uh, from all indications, we can assume that majority of the people that were in that house that night had gone out and drank. We know that they were out to a specific time and, you know, they were at parties where alcohol was accessible and or at bars where alcohol was accessible. And so um, we can assume that they were under the influence of at least alcohol and um, they were asleep. You know, the download of the victim's residence is when Dylan hears, um, you know, what she thinks is Kaylee playing with the dog at four o'clock in the morning. There's a good possibility that she turned, you know, she looked at her phone to see what time it was. And if she was asleep and, you know, had been asleep for a couple of hours, her phone would have indicated that it was inactive for that amount of time. And that the moment that it did activate was at 404, 405, 410, 412, somewhere around that time frame, uh, which would validate the fact of what she's saying of the time that she was awoken. And then also kind of coordinates or corroborates the evidence that we have of the sighting of the vehicle acting suspiciously. And then also the fact that it's not being seen during that time as well. So all of that is evidence pointing to that whoever's driving that vehicle um, is probably a um, good chance that he is a uh, knows he or she knows something like, you know, in these videos, I highly doubt. And, and you can tell from the probable cause affidavit. You cannot identify Covert or there's no picture of his face or, or license plate or things of that nature that would identify who he is based off of the information in the probable cause affidavit. So, you know, we don't know that it's Covert or in that vehicle or not, but I'm fairly positive that we have enough information to say that there was a white four-door sedan without a sunroof in the area acting very suspiciously and is consistent with 
being highly involved. And so uh, let's look at this video of what this vehicle is doing and what we pick up. So this is the initial pass at 3.30. This is the first one. Uh, what you're going to notice is, is that this vehicle comes in and, uh, and goes around the back very uh, smoothly. It's not stopping. It's not turning around. Not stuttering. Just a smooth turnaround. A, a loop, so to speak. And here it is again at 3.39 doing the exact same thing driving around around to the back now why do you guys think that he's driving around to the back let's um let's take a look at the google earth so in my opinion if you're if you turn here onto queen road right um in here in the united states for those that are watching you know overseas uh, our steering wheel is on the left side of the um of the vehicle and so as you're passing um, going from left to right in front of the victim's residence, the driver would be um, have to look through his vehicle uh, to to get a really good clear view of the uh, victim's residence. And if they would have turned down between the victim's residence and the apartment complex and up this hill, uh, well, that leaves two disadvantages. One, he's he's going to have to look through his vehicle to to look at the house, and then as he passes the house and turns into the back parking lot, he's gonna to have to turn behind him to to look and view the residence. Now, if he, uh, instead of turning up this hill here, if he goes around and does this loop around this complex, as he uh, passes the backside of the complex and turns in between the residence and the apartment complex, not only are you having a uh, pretty good visual of the back end of the, of, the, of the residence without having to strain yourself, but you're also, um, the residence is on the driver's side of the vehicle where, you know, the operator can look at the vehicle, you know, look without having the vehicle be an obstruction. And so I think that's the main reason why we're seeing this loop around so many different times. Now, we know that in the probable cause affidavit that there was three of them. Um, and you know, we just saw two of them, one at three, three o'clock, the next one at three thirty-eight. Now, the next time that he passes by is close to 3.57. So it's about 17 minutes later. In between this time at 3.45 is when a um, a supposed white vehicle is passing by on Troy Road in front of a um, gas station a couple of miles away. That white Elantra or white vehicle that was captured on this um, off of this gas station camera turned down this road here. Um, which is a straight shot. It would give you a straight shot to the victim's house. However, uh, that vehicle was coming from the east to the west. And so whoever, if this vehicle was indeed the vehicle that was seen over here in this footage, um, it would have had to have done a, a huge loop around to be traveling in this direction to be caught in this video. So if the 3.45 a.m. time frame is accurate, I don't think that it is possible for this vehicle at 3.39 uh, to be there and have traveled the longer distance to get in front of that camera. Now, if it's an approximation and it was closer to 3.48, 3.49, then it's very much likely uh, a possibility that it could be the same vehicle. 
but I don't know. I just thought I would throw that in there that there is some time there for this vehicle to have been the one caught on that um, surveillance from that um, uh, gas station. So we'll continue to play this. There's no sound. So um, like you guys are turning it up, it's no point. So this is the third time that this uh, you know vehicle passes without any stuttering, without any stopping, without trying to turn around. This is at 3.56, 3.57 a.m. Now, the next time that this person passes around is at 4.05, and that's when we see this vehicle start to act a little bit different, right? We'll play it and we'll show you guys. So this is at 4.05. Instead of going around, the vehicle stops, does a U-turn, and if we were to take a look at the uh, probable cause affidavit. It states here at 4.04 a.m., the car can be seen driving eastbound on Kings Road, uh, stopping and turning around in front of 500 Queen Road, 52, and then driving back westbound on King Road. Then the suspect vehicle one is in front of the Queen Road residence. It appears to unsuccessfully attempt to park, turn around in the road, uh, and or turn around in the road and then the vehicle then continued to the intersection of Queen Road and King Road where it can be seen completing a three-point turn and then driving eastbound again down Queen Road. So at this point, we have 357 that the vehicle goes around uninterrupted, just in a big loop. 405, vehicle starts acting funny. And I think that at that moment, you're also seeing that this vehicle is not just acting funny here, but it's acting funny in a couple of different places. So what happened between 356 and 405? My opinion, I think the answer is the DoorDash. Now, this house here, the victim's residence, isn't an odd, odd place, right? You know, I think that it would be difficult to locate, especially if you were a, uh, not familiar with the area. Um, I think that it would be plausible that um, the victims of this residence understood that, especially if they had ordered DoorDash in the past. I think we all know that you don't get to pick your driver. Um, so it could be somebody new every single time. So in order to, you know, prevent confusion, I think it would be likely that, you know, these victims would, um, or somebody who lived in a um, confusing area would leave a light on, whether it's outside and or inside of the residence to indicate that this is the house that, you know, requested um, or ordered the food, especially at this time of night where you're expecting majority of these houses to be silent and quiet and asleep. So I think that that may have been an, a reason why the alleged, you know, persons that committed this crime may have circled so many different times. And then after that DoorDash order was received, which according to the probable cause affidavit is at four o'clock. So right in the middle between that 356 pass around and that 404 pass around, is it possible that once that item was received that Xana or whoever received that from that residence, whether it be her or Ethan, lights turned off? And now it's 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 go time, right? And so you see you see this vehicle come in. Now for whatever reason, I don't know why they didn't go around, but they do a three-point turn. They stop and hesitate for a minute. And I think this is a pretty clear indication of what's to come when it comes to this case. You have a person here who has probably planned out this entire, um, you know, crime and situation in his mind and on documents or whatever. And 
now it's time for it to happen. And he's already acting up. You know, he's doing this turn. He's going to end up doing a, you know, trying to park in front of the victim's house, try to do a turnaround in front of the victim's house is unsuccessful at doing either one of those. And then does a three point turn, then comes back around. That tells you that the moment just got real, right? Let's watch this. The moment just got real. And in my opinion, I think that this is very highly suspicious activity of somebody's like, all right, like the nerves, the, the franticness that's probably going on through them as well. You know, you can hear it. Now, like I said, this doesn't have any sound, but at 407, when he comes back around, you can hear a horn go off. Now, I think that that horn is actually coming from him. You know, my, and we talked about this last night in the live, which that link will be in the description. And also um, at the end of the show, I'll have it where it comes out where you can click on it so you can watch the entire breakdown. But, you know, I theory, my theory is that he was preparing to go into this house and he may have had some sort of bag with him. As we saw, he just passed by. Oh, we wanted that right there. I, I assume, or I, I think he may have had a bag with him. Maybe put that bag in his lap pulled out maybe knife knife sheath whatever it may have been uh and, and hit the horn by accident but you know, i find that it being more on the lines of it being accidental due to nerves and him being you know getting prepared to go and commit the crime that he ended up committing uh, versus somebody else alarming him and like i said the the affidavit doesn't sh this isn't speak confidence when you read the description of what the vehicle was doing. You know, it stops, turns around in front of 500 Queen Road, number 52, and then drives back westbound on, on King Road. Then the vehicle is in front of the King Road resident. It appears to unsuccessfully attempt to park. Like parking is something that isn't, um, you know, something that should be a, a difficult thing to do, right? And so, um, you know, he unsuccessfully parks, tries to turn around in my opinion what he's might be doing is trying to position himself in the most optimum position to get out of there quickly right and so you know what he ends up doing in my opinion at 407 by driving all the way around is position himself right here um, right next to the victim's residence so that way there's a clear path to the back of the uh, residence to the slide in screen door. And I'm unaware if he was aware of any cameras or any of those things that may have been around here. Uh, but parking back here, it doesn't appear that there are any cameras uh, that would have captured him getting in and out of that vehicle and walking around towards that house. And so I think and can assume that that's probably the most logical reason behind it. Now, knowing all this and how suspicious this vehicle is acting around the time of the incident, Leads me to believe, like, for instance, that vehicle or that box vehicle uh, that's parked out there that leaves at 423 out of that apartment complex that's sitting right right in this area is probably just somebody that lives there. And I think that the white Elantra is more suspicious. Now, we also have the footage of this area for the entire, you know, from one o'clock to four o'clock or five o'clock. And during that entire time frame, that vehicle was parked there. Now, I know a lot of people are saying, well, it may not be involved, but there's tunnel vision. There's tunnel vision. I get that in my comments section a lot. Oh, there's tunnel vision. I don't think that is the case. You know, just because in the paperwork that, you know, is we're privileged as far as, you know, the public is privileged to see, 
just because there's not anything in there about other suspects doesn't mean that there isn't anything about other suspects at all. You know, and I can and I point to this quite a bit, the uh, Richard Allen case. In the Richard Allen case, we know that Keegan Klein and we know that Ronald Logan were highly suspected of committing that crime. Yet in none of the paperwork that's been put out there for uh, Richard Allen, have we seen their names? Now, I guarantee you those names are you know, brought up often and that investigation is brought up often that was done against them in the discovery, which we don't have privilege to. And I think that's going to be the same situation here. And the evidence to point to that is the fact that the defense knows about a cigarette butt that the uh, law enforcement had to secretly um, gather and test, right, to determine, um, you know, if they were a suspect or not. So just the fact that the defense knows that, that's they know that other people were investigated. It wasn't just a closed-minded, you know, tunnel vision investigation. Now, I know there's a lot of speculation and, and, and a lot of people are saying, well, you know, we hear something at one o'clock. One, we know that the girls were at the corner club and at the truck, uh, grub truck until at least 156 uh, or 145 and that they, or 150 and they didn't arrive home until about 156 per um, Olivia uh, Gonzalez, Kaylee's sister who did the legwork and found all that out, right? So all the screams that you hear you know, at one o'clock or before 156 and things of that nature is probably just the surrounding area. We spoke about uh, about this area. It is Greek row. It's not Greek house. Um, many of them are off campus Greek houses. You have, you know, the houses that we know. We have the victim's house. We know that neighbors houses were also University of Idaho students that had parties. In fact, this is one of the houses um, that we suspect had a number of people, you know, having a party the night before. Uh, it's been rumored that multiple houses in this area had a party. We also know that, for instance, that Jack DeCour and his friends lived, you know, a couple of houses down as well, and that they had, you know, a crazy amount of parties that were very loud. We have video footage of those things. And so, you know, at one o'clock in this area on a Saturday night after a football game, you know, I understand that it was quiet compared to what it was the night before or most weekends that you would expect, but to expect it to be pin drop silent is, is, is an unrealistic expectation. There's going to be noise. And like I mentioned before in other videos, this camera is about 107 yards away from the, the victim's um, residence. And you have to, you know, sound has to travel through uh, this house now, or, or apartment complex. Also, the other thing about this area is this this part back here is elevated, right? The victim's house is down here. It's it, it's at the bottom of that hill. It's in a bowl. So when people say that that this house is in a fishbowl, the fishbowl is over here to the left of this apartment complex. Noise to be traveling out of there. Yes, I get it. It's quiet. Noise can travel. But the fact that we don't hear dogs barking going crazy at 417, like the PC affidavit states that the camera that's only 50 feet away can hear leads me to believe that all the other noises that we hear uh, are unrelated. Now, the other thing that we do know is that Kaylee called and text Jack all the way up until about 2.50 in the morning. I, I strongly suspect that anything before then is unreal uh, unrealistic, right? And so, you know, 51 terabytes worth of information, which I think a lot of it's going to be you know, hours upon hours of security footage from multiple angles and multiple cameras. Um, similar to what we just saw from this Linda Lane footage, where you have five hours of information and really only utilizing maybe 
seven, eight minutes. And so, you know, that's going to be the same kind of situation that's going to be happy with multiple pieces of information. So I know that you know, out of all that, a lot of that's going to be there, but there was also 13,000 pages of evidence against them, reports and things of that nature. And so, um, you know, there's a lot that we don't know. You know, we'll see in trial, you know, we're going to be talking about the forensics. So, uh, on Monday show, we have, um, Stephanie Brown. She is a, uh, medical legal forensic death investigator with a master's in forensics. She's going to be on the show, um, doing a bit of a Q and a, we're going to be talking about the forensics, the lack there of DNA, DNA transfer DNA, you know, how it's, you know, how strong is it? Things of that nature from a, uh, an expert perspective. So you don't want to miss it. So if you're not already subscribed, subscribe and ring that notification bell. That way you're notified of all of those things. So, but yeah, to wrap it all up, when it comes to this, uh, footage here, um, um, you know, the Linda Lane footage, uh, I think that it is real. I, I, it could be fake, but I do think it's real based on what we're seeing in there and the actions of the vehicle and how, closely accurate it, it is to the probable cause affidavit. You know, I think that um, we see a very suspicious vehicle acting very suspiciously around the time where a lot of noise and things are, are happening, um, you know, at that residence and when phone downloads are, are showing that phones are activated or what, you know, everything that's indicating that the crime is being committed. And then it's all cooperating with each other. So, let me know what you think in the comment section. I'm sure I'll have a few of you guys and tell me I'm wrong in some form or fashion, but we'll see. Only, only the trial will, will tell us. Till Monday.